Today is the first Sunday of 2016. Can you believe it? Isn't it amazing how fast time is just flying by? And it seems to be the older I get, the faster it goes. Is that anybody ever heard that before? Did I make that up? Am I the first one that ever said that? I don't think so. It just keeps on picking up ahead of steam. It's like a locomotive, man. Once it gets going, it gets it's the momentum of those all those cars behind it, and so you get a little bit of a hill, and all of a sudden you just go downhill much faster. And that's not to say you're going downhill. Um, it's just saying that the time is moving on, and it's going very fast. You know, it's beginning. I'm. I, I, it's beginning. It's this is my seventh year of pastoring here already. Now maybe it's time for me to leave. Maybe seven and out. Maybe some would say, "All right, good." See you later. I don't know. If the Lord says that, I'll go. But right now, he's, I'm here today at least, okay? Um, if he wants to take me next week, that's up to him. I want to take the time today to focus, though, on the heart of Centerpoint Assembly. Who really are we? What have we been? Where are we going? What's the Lord putting on our heart? What's the Lord putting on my heart as a pastor? What am I hoping that you're picking up as congregants and lay people and leaders and very important people in the kingdom of God. 2015, I'm glad it's gone. It was a hard year for some families. We had a lot of tragedy in this community. We had some loss in our family. It was a hard year. Maybe for you it was a good year, and that's good. If it was a good year, we celebrate with you. If it was a hard year, we mourn with you, and we lift your burdens. But here's the deal. It's past. It's gone. And now we move on to the next year, and we ask the Lord's blessing in the next year. And you know truly what, a God, what God's blessing really is? God's blessing is not always in the financial or in the health and in the strength. Truly a God's blessing is what turns my eyes to Jesus. If my eyes are turned to Jesus through wealth, then amen. If my eyes are turned to Jesus through sickness, then Amen. It doesn't make any difference what it is. As long as my eyes are focused on Christ, I'm blessed. But if anything comes in my life that will distract me, then it's not a blessing, it's a curse. Sometimes money can be a curse. Sometimes health can be a curse. Sometimes sickness can be a blessing. I want the blessings of God. And I don't care what form it takes, I just want my eyes focused on Christ because that's all that matters, especially as the days that we're living It's closer and closer. I know one thing. I'm seven years closer to the rapture than where we were seven years ago. And it's getting that much closer every day. So with all that said, I want to talk about the heart of our church. And I want to start with my heart. My heart for this church, I'll tell you right now, my heart for this church is that every person, without exception, every person that attends this church on a regular basis goes to heaven. That's it. That's, that's that simple. That, that the day the rapture takes place, that there is not one pew, one seat occupied. I don't want anybody left behind. If the rapture happens today, I would want every one of you out of here. I'd like just a bunch of pile of clothes laying here. My heart for this church is that everyone is a true believer. Everyone understands who Jesus is. Everyone fully follows Christ with all their heart. There is no one here making shortcuts. That's my prayer. That's my heart. That's my passion. That if I'm here as the, when, the past, or when the rapture happens, that this church is empty. Or if you pass away before, that you're in heaven before I get there. 
but I don't want anyone to miss it. And so with that said, there's lots of opportunities for misunderstanding. Because when you have a passion for people like that, and when you, when you want the truth to be told, sometimes people can misunderstand how you're telling it. And sometimes there are times there that um, it just may come across that I'm overly harsh, I'm overly legalistic, and I'm too demanding. But please understand my heart on this, and that is that I, I'm, I'm there because I want the best for you and for me. Some would say that they would, they would like me to preach more uplifting and positive messages and the feel-good messages that make us all rah-rah and feel good, and I'm all for that. I, I just can't do it. <laughs> I, but I, I pray that these do. I mean, I, in all honesty, I pray that a message that comes with truth would, could be that way. It doesn't have to be come across as, as something that would be hard and negative. My intent is not to hurt people. My intent is not to beat people up. And let me be the first one to say, I'm sorry if I've ever hurt you. I'm sorry if in my attempt to preach the gospel that I've ever offended you or hurt you with my comments or my delivery. I, I might have said some things maybe that have been too harsh. I'm sorry if I have. I'm just trying to preach the Bible. I'm doing my best to keep my messages on biblical basis. I'm trying my best to keep a positive tone, a positive demeanor. I'm doing my best. Give me, so just know my heart, please. I want to stress Bible teaching and learning that that as we focus on God's purposes and live accordingly, that we're not basing our life on our own teachings and thought processes. That we are not putting our belief on man's ideas, that no, we are truly trying to get into God's word and truly understanding what it says. And I know that that's kind of hard to do because sometimes we can interpret things differently. We can read the same passage and maybe read it in, or interpret it differently or, or a set of passages. And, and um, let me just say this, that if we ever have an opportunity to have two different interpretations, one being more liberal and one being more conservative, can I pretty much tell you that I will be always be on the conservative side? I will always be on the more harsh side. That's just my nature. It's just who I am. I, will, I would rather have the Lord tell me, Mike, at the end of the day, you were a little bit too hard on your people, rather than him say, Mike, who were you to change my word? Who are you to soften my word? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not anybody to change anything in God's word. So I don't want to make it overly hard either because if I add to it, I'm just as bad as taking away from it. So I understand that. I'm trying my best to add to it as well. I don't want to be a Judaizer that we've been talking about in the book of Galatians. I don't want to be that kind of a person that would add more to it if that's not in it. I don't want to add to it. But at the same time, I will conservatively err on the safe side rather than err on the liberal side because it might be easier to hear or it might be easier to say. Paul was pretty emphatic with Timothy. Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. Turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 1, in the first five verses. 2 Timothy chapter 4. You know, we're not putting the scriptures up. Have you noticed that? I'm, I'm encouraging people to bring Bibles. All right, so let me hear the Bibles opening. And part of it's my fault because I go too fast, and I don't give you enough time to open up the Scripture. So I'm going to try to slow down in that area a little bit. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom... I give you this charge. Preach the word, 
Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Man, there is a mouthful right there. I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, or basically all times, to correct, rebuke, and encourage. It's interesting the order that it's given. He's saying that we are to correct and rebuke and encourage. Two correct and rebukes, and then one encourage. He doesn't say encourage, encourage, encourage. He doesn't say preach a good word, a good word, a good word. He says correct. Why do we need correction? Why do we need correction? Do you ever think, do you need correction? Are Are we above correction? Are we above rebuke? No, we need correction. We need rebuke. And then we need to encourage. Yeah. With great patience and careful instruction. We don't just rush through it to get through it. No, we're patient. So that everybody can kind of stay up on the same page or get caught up. And then we're very careful with our instruction that we don't try to hurt people. doesn't mean we don't hurt people sometimes by mistake, but we don't try to hurt people. For the time will come, verse 3, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You know, he's just not talking about one teacher. This small group of people are going to find one teacher that's going to take them down a path. No, what he's saying is that these people will not put up a sound doctrine and instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear because misery loves company, because people don't want to be in the weeds by themselves. For the time will come when people will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, they, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Man, think about that. They will turn away from the truth. What does that mean to you? Somebody tell me, what does it mean to turn away from the truth? To believe a lie. Turn away from God. To turn, to, to know what to do, which is good, and not to do it. Does it have to be an outright blatant lie, or can it be just a little bit of a smidge? Just a little bit of a twist. How big does it have to be before it's turning away from truth? Not very big, does it? Just a smidgen. Just one word, one level of compromise, right, Andre? What we talked about in Sunday school. All it takes is one level of compromise, and then where do you stop it? Yeah, once you're on that slippery slope of compromising the truth, where do you stop? But verse 5, but you keep your head in all situations, Timothy. Paul speaking to Timothy. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Yeah. I perceive my calling as a pastor in the times that we're living in is receiving that word directly from Paul himself. 
That's what Paul is saying to every pastor today, to every leader today, to every evangelist today, to everyone that calls himself a deacon or an elder in the church, to every worship leader, to every mature Christian in the church body. That's what Paul is telling you as well. Don't turn away to myths. Don't let false teaching come in and mess up your thoughts. And I believe that's what most of the people in this church want, quite honestly. I believe most of the people here want that. And, I, and, and for those that may not want it, I don't think you purposely want false teaching. I just think you don't know what you want. <laughs> I just, I'm not sure if you really know what you want. You just don't, you want to come into church and feel good. You want to come in and have a nice, uh, a nice uh, experience. You want to come in and have your needs met. You want to come in and say hi to people and have some coffee and fellowship time. And then you want to just go home. And at the end of the day, I'm not sure really what you know what, if you want or not want. And what I'm trying to do is direct this church to understanding what we want and what we need. Kind of like how we struggle a little bit in worship this morning. Just because I don't feel something doesn't mean I don't still do it. I still have to make myself do what I know is right to do, whether I feel like it or not. And that was maybe an object lesson for the sermon today, is that I have to continue to do what God's Word says I have to do, whether it makes me feel good about myself or whether it's pleasing to you or not. That's not the point. The point is that we're faithful to God's Word, and we let God's Word be God's Word, and we don't call it anything different. Now, understand that I am not out to displease people, and I am not out to pick a fight. I will let the Holy Spirit be my defender. If there's something that, that is said here that is of God's word that might cause you to rise up, thank the Lord for that. Yeah, really thank the Lord for that, and, and it's how you handle that. It's how you deal with that. If you want to take an offense, if you want to argue with the pastor, who, regardless of who it is, I'm talking about the office of pastor. I'm not talking about me personally. I'm talking about the office of pastor. If you want to argue with that, you can. But you should make sure clearly that the pastor is clearly wrong. And pastors can be wrong, by the way. I just need to know that. You, it's okay. But don't rise up just because it maybe might prick your feelings. If I've said some things that are wrong, then I can be addressed, and I can be handled, and I can be corrected. I recognize that. So we just have to make sure that we have the right heart in how we do some things. I'm not putting a person on a pedestal above another person. Don't hear me on that clearly, because we're all able to make mistakes. But it's important that we respect the office, though, that the office person holds, and then come through it in a proper fashion. Because otherwise, we start to cause problems in the church. Peter gives some instruction on how to, we're to react to those questions or in our beliefs and how we, we should respond. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded and be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Verse 10, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must 
turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So in defense of the gospel, we believe that we teach we are to be humble and we're to be gentle in our firmness in our stance. We are to be firm in our stance, but not prideful and not arrogant, but humble, and we're to live it out. We're to live it out in our lives so that those that might bring accusation against you would be shameful of their slander because it's not true. So we have a responsibility to that. I have a responsibility to that as pastor to do that. Now let's talk a little bit about the body a little bit. What is the body in the body of Christ? What role do we have? What role do you have as a member of the body of Christ? Now, this would apply whether you're a member here or a regular attender here, or if you're a visitor, this would apply to your home church. So this would apply to you no matter where you're at in life at this point in time. It's, it's important that we lay the foundation to understand firm, truly what is the church. What, how, what is God, how does God define the church? And how does he want us to be in relationship to each other? It's important that we recognize that God doesn't call people to be individuals or to be load rangers. He calls us to be a part of the church. Now, there may be specific times in life where you have to separate yourself and for some particular reason, but that should not be the whole of your life. God's plan is for people to be connected into a body of believers. Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 and 25 through 25, Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. God is faithful to his promises. And that we truly have a good hope and a good future with him as we trust him in this. He goes on to instruct us on how we are to encourage each other in our relationships. The reason you come to church is to encourage another church member. You come to church because you can be a blessing to another person. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever walked into a church and been blessed by another person? Have you ever walked in and been a blessing to another person? That's what church is about. That's, that's what the body of, is, of, of Christ is about. He goes on to give clear instruction that this body is that, is that we should not give up meeting together because it's what we need to do to be seen in our community as a unified body of believers. The people in our community need to see us together. And it's interesting that 
he says that as the day approaches, we need to do it even more so. What does that day mean? What is he referring to as the day? The day is a capital letter D. What does that day mean? The rapture, the day Jesus returns. And so as we are getting closer and closer to the rapture, we should be more emphatically joining together, not less, more emphatically. So it's obvious then that we need to be in good relationship together to stand against the enemy of the day. True? Is that an obvious statement? Is it obvious to know that Satan knows that his time is short and his, and, his days, and his time is getting shorter every day. Is that an obvious statement? Is it obvious to know that Satan is opposed to everything God stands for? Satan is opposed to everything God stands for? That Satan is out to destroy everyone? Satan is not your friend? He's out to destroy you? He's out to destroy your family? He's out to destroy your spouse, your children, your church? He's out to destroy anything that has to do with God, he's out to destroy. So it's an obvious statement to make that, God, that Satan is against the church. Satan is against the church. He's against this body of believers. And anything that we would do to build it up, Satan is against. Makes sense, doesn't it? All right, so now let me ask some questions this morning. And I, I, I got to tell you, I really prayed about this and thought about how we should do this. But, you know, um, I want you to know I'm a shepherd and not a hired hireling here. And there's a difference. Because I could take the approach. I've asked myself the question. So why do I really care if people get involved in this church? Why do I really care if they get involved and develop new ministries in this church? Why do I care? Well, you know, let me just say this. It would be a lot easier for me if I just took this as a job and didn't care. Because the more that goes on in the church, the more work I have to do. The more people stand up to say, I want to leave a Bible study like Janelle. I want to do Tabitha's Closet like Angel. I want to do Play Cafe like Sandra did and, and, and what Robin's continuing to do. And, and all, if, the more people rise up to do things, the more it puts on my plate. Even though I'm not directly responsible for them, so it would be a lot easier for me if I would just take this as a job and not care. I could come in, I could preach my 30-minute ser sermon on Sunday, and we could be out by 5 to 12, and we could go on, and life would be good, and I'd get my $40,000 a year, and I'd be happy. So why don't I do that? I'm really tempted to, quite honestly. I'll be honest. I'm, I, this is brutally honest Sunday. Okay, brutally honest Sunday is what this is called. So you might not like me. If this was just a job, I've already learned how to manage my egotistical feelings about big crowds. I've already learned how to come in and preach to 30, 40, 50, 60 people. I've already learned to come in on Wednesday nights and have 5, 10, 15, 20 people or less in Wednesday mornings or Wednesday nights. I've already learned that. I've already learned to take my ego out of it. So I could very easily take this as a job. And let me say some other things while I'm speaking about myself. It sounds boastful, but I'm not boasting. Please hear my heart. I know what it's like to be a layman. I know what it's like to be a busy person in a business world. I spent most of my life there. I know what it's like. Chris and I understand what it means to be committed to a local church in the midst of busyness of life. 
Over 20 years, we were down in the Detroit area, Brighton area, Ferndale, more than that, actually. Um, we raised our children. We had four children going through t-ball and soccer, going through high school athletic events, going through all the AAU volleyball seasons, supporting our son in Little League baseball, travel teams, all that stuff. We know what it's like to be busy. In the midst of all this, though, we were adamant in supporting our local church. I was at Brighton. I became my pastor's number one support man. I was an elder. I was a deacon. I was the church treasurer. I taught Sunday school classes. I gave weekly stewardship devotionals prior to offerings every Sunday. I sang in every Christmas Easter choir cantata. I made sure my family was actively involved and made church a priority at home. That's what I did as a layman. I understand busyness. I understand what was running. I lived in Brighton. I worked in Dearborn. I commuted 25 to one way every day. I was on the road sometimes two to four hours a day driving. I came home. I know what it's like to be busy. I understand that. But at the same time, I kept church as the priority of my life. It was the thing we did. We went to church on Sundays. We went to church on Wednesdays. We went to Sunday school. If there was an activity, if there was a special speaker, we were there during the week. We made church our priority. That's what we do. That's what we did. When I started pastoring here in 2009, I was the president and owner of Pine River Elogs next door. I started pastoring while I was the president of that company. I was doing both. I was a president pastoring. I know what it's like to be busy. My goal then, my thought was, when I took the role of being a pastor here, I really felt that's what God wanted me to do. I really thought I wouldn't have done it if I wouldn't have felt it because it was, it was a hard thing to do. I felt it was what, and I really thought that the Lord was going to make Pine River so successful that I would be able, to be able to hire another president of Elog, and I would be able to pastor this church for free because I would make so much money over there that I could do this for free. Well, you know, that's not how it worked out. Okay, well, the Lord had different ideas. That was my idea. After that, after we closed the doors in 2010, I went and worked in Grand Rapids for almost a year, uh, commuting down to Grand Rapids, on leaving here Sunday afternoon, coming back Wednesday afternoon for Bible study, preach Sunday weekends. I know what it's like to be busy. I'm still committed to the church. I'm saying all that to understand what priorities are. And when we don't make godly priorities in our life, we're missing the boat. What does it mean to be committed to the church? What does it mean to be committed to the church? Now, having a commitment to the church does not bring about salvation, just so you know that. It's not about just coming to the church and being here every Sunday to, bring, to make you saved. That, that doesn't mean that. But we've already identified the church as the body of Christ. It's not a building. It's not a, it's not a religious institution. It is the body of Christ. Was Jesus committed to the church? Was Jesus committed to the church? Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 15. Matthew 16, 15 through 18. Jesus says, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by, by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. 
and verse 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus was committed to the church. What does that mean? There's some things in this passage that are important. First of all, Simon Peter, it was revealed to him through the Holy Spirit who Jesus was. So God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was active in the life of the disciples. Number two, Jesus is all about building the church. He's all about building the church. Number three, the church is defined by this passage is not a building, but it's based on people being built by people. The church is people being built by people. And that church, as defined by Christ being that, people built on people, will not be defeated by the devil. The church being built by people will not be defeated by the gates of hell. When the church is built that way, it will not be defeated by the, built, by the gates of hell. So what does that mean to us today? It means everything to us today. It means everything because that's what the church is. The church is people being built by people, and as we are godly people building godly church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what Jesus said. If it's important to Jesus then, then it should be important to us today. If it was important to him then, it's important to him today, I guarantee you that. He's all about the church. And as he defined it, I want your life, Peter, to be that kind of a life that can build the life of the church on. And he's saying that to everyone, you, you and I today, that we are not to be a church based on our, our thoughts or our desires or our whims. No, we're to build on the rock of Jesus Christ. Peter was the pebble. Jesus was the rock. The rock was Christ. Peter was being built on that rock. He was just a pebble. We're pebbles on the rock of Christ but we're made of the same material. A pebble and a rock are made out of the same stuff. One's just a little bit bigger. If we're going to be Christ-like, we've got to be made out of the same stuff as Christ. We may not be as big as Christ, but we, may have to, we have to have the character of Christ. We have to be made out of the same material of Christ. The church was important. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27. Time slipping by. I'm going to read this fast. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present herself to himself as a radiant church. So Jesus is talking about, he's, he's taking the analogy of husbands and wives and how we are to love our wife like Christ loved the church and that we are, as the church, we're to present ourselves to Christ as a bride, as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but we're to be holy and blameless. Jesus is coming back for the church. He's not coming back for individuals. We make up as individuals the church, but he's coming back for the bride of Christ. And we make up the bride of Christ in our individuality, a part of the church, he's coming back for the bride of Christ and we are part of it. The church is, built, is about godly people being built by godly people, just so we can review this, and it's not just a building or, or, or a religious institution. The church will never save a person. No more the good works will save a person. And being active in your local church isn't about earning browning points with God. Being active in your local church is a result of your salvation. Just like good works are a result of your salvation, good works never bring you salvation. But as you're saved, good works follow. 
as you're saved, your life changes. You're not the same as you were before. But, you, but it's not the good works that save you, right? No, what saved you is the blood of Christ. But with that blood of Christ comes a change as a result. The church is a similar fashion. As we are a part of the body of Christ, we then become committed to the church. We become committed to the body of Christ as a result of our commitment to Christ. Our getting involved doesn't make the commitment. Our commitment gets us involved. Do you see how that works? It's, it's the result of. So basically what I can do with that, then I can ask myself a question. If I don't find myself committed to the body of Christ, am I really a part of the body of Christ? If I don't find myself wanting to do good works, am I really saved? If I don't find myself desiring to be more like Christ, am I really a Christian? You see, some of those ifs, ands help me define what my relationship is with the body. If I'm not attracted to the body of believers, then am I really a part of the body of believers? If church is a struggle for you, if you have a hard time getting to church, if you have a hard time getting to Bible study, if you have a hard time coming to prayer meetings, doesn't that make you wonder who you are in Christ? I have no problem, if I'm a basketball fan, going to a basketball game. If I didn't like basketball, I wouldn't go. Right? If I am struggling with church, it must make you ask the question, am I really part of the church? Am I part of what Jesus is coming back for? This is sobering, but it's so important because if we're going to be a part of the church that Christ is coming back for, don't you think we would have a desire for that? Don't you think we'd have something in us if you're struggling in that desire, then can I say, just do what's right and let your desires follow? If you're struggling with your desire, then put your desires behind you then <laughs> and read God's word and just see what God's word says about coming together as a body of believers and start doing it, and as you do it, probably what will happen is your desires will, will follow you. They will become part of who you are that because you will make yourself do what's right. That's called discipline. And with discipline comes a good result. But if you don't discipline yourself, you'll end up gaining lots of weight, developing type 2 diabetes, and probably die an early death because you're not disciplined. Help us, Lord, to know what it means to be a part of your church. What does it mean to really be a part of God's church? Let me ask you this question as we conclude. Let me give you this challenge this morning. If this is your home church, if this is your home church, what do you want your church to be like? This is not the pastor's church. Pastors come and go, truly, and design by design. 
This is your church. What do you want your church to be like? And then ask yourself the question, what am I doing to make it like that? If everybody was like you, what would your church be like? If everybody had the same commitment you had to your church, would you have a church? If you were committed to your church like you were committed to your job, amazing how the church would be. How many people, when you don't feel like going to work, just decide not to go to work? But how many people, when they don't want to go to church, decide, I don't want to go to church? Yeah. Priorities. Well, yeah, you say, well, I get paid at my job. You don't think you're going to get paid in heaven or rewarded in hell? Come on. Let's not get so short-term-minded that we look at it and say, well, my job is more important than church because I get paid to go to my job. There's going to come a day when we're all going to stand before Jesus. And he's going to look at us and he's going to say, well, what would you think of my church? Oh, well, Jesus, I thought it was great. Well, did you go all the time? I like the war room. Remember what the lady said? She said, how, many, how often do you go to your church? But she says, I go, every, I go once in a while. She goes, why does that? You go once in a while because you're only, your pastor only preaches once in a while? What would happen if I decided not to show up? What would happen if the pastor said, I'm not showing up today? Well, I'm paid to show up. All right, I'll, I'll take an unpaid day. <laughs> no, you see what I'm saying? You, you see what I'm trying to, I'm trying to get to the point of commitment. This is your church. What are we going to do to be committed to your church? This isn't legalistic. This isn't browbeating. This is just, re, this is just trying to get us to the point, real, recognizing that someday we're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to say, what do you think of my church? I want to make sure that I am saying the right things now about his church so that I can say, God, I really love your church, Jesus. I was committed to your church. I, I did everything I could to be there every Sunday when I wasn't on vacation or I wasn't sick or I didn't have a priority, somewhere, a real priority someplace else. Yeah. Yeah, amen. And, and not only that, Sandra, I, I thank you for that. That that's what I'm trying to do. But at the same time, I want to be sure that when I stand before the Lord, that your blood's not in my hands. Because all I can do is what I can do, and that is if I preach the word and you choose to reject that and walk away, then, then the blood's, your blood's not in my hands. It's when I don't preach the word. It's when I bring a feel-good message that just makes you hear, but if you're not in the rapture, if you don't go to heaven, then your blood's on my hands, right? So, yeah, I'm, I'm, thank you for that. That's what I want to do, but I'm selfish too. All right, I'm not perfect. <laughs> I don't want to be responsible for your sin. I don't want to be responsible for that. We're going to pray. We're going to go fellowship. We're going to have some fun time together. Thank you so much for, for this. And I just pray that we would just be committed to your church. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We thank you for your, your message. We thank you for your, your correction, your rebuking, and your encouragement. And Lord, we love you. We really do. And we want to do the things that are pleasing in your sight. So God, I just pray that, that we would allow you to rise up within us, be committed within us, and that we would be uh, faithful and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.